Broadcasting from Manhattan Beach and the World Wide Web, you're listening to CHSR, HealthyLife.net. As a service to our listeners, this program is for general information and entertainment purposes only. CHSRHealthyLife.net does not recommend, endorse, or object to the views, products, or topics expressed or discussed by show hosts or their guests. We suggest you always consult with your own personal, medical, financial, or legal advisor. you've tuned in today. You've reached Marianne Live. If you're here for the first time, if not, you know where you are. At least you'd like to think you do. (laughs) Most of us aren't always sure who we are or where we are. We do the best we can with what we've got. Um, Well, you know, I have to say, today's program is going to be discussing a topic that it's not one that any of us are ever not going to deal with. Uh, caring for the dying, even if that's including yourself. Uh, our guest today, Henry Frisco Weiss, is joining us to discuss the doula approach to dealing with or having a meaningful death. Um, so we're going to talk about endings today, um, transitioning from one state of being to another. And one of the things that I love to do at the top of the hour um, is to invite you into your practice. I think that having all this information can be so overwhelming, and what we're devoted to doing here on our program is taking all of what we know and sorting through and bringing that into practical application. How do I embody this information uh, so it's not just floating in my mind or spinning out somewhere? How do I really put it into practice? So. What we do is we cultivate practice, starting with getting present. Very simple, but not always easy to do. If you're already doing 80 miles an hour, this is not easy (laughs) to ratchet down, right, into second gear or even idle. So take your time. Finding your breath is, for me, a very simple way to do so and invite you to do the same. Just bringing your attention to your breath. That may not always be a pleasant experience, so noticing that as well. Sometimes deepening our breath can help us bring a little bit more comfort. For others, it might be so pleasurable to just remember, oh, right, here I am. Here's my body. Here's my breath. Go ahead and enjoy that in and out experience or the rise and fall of your breath as you bring yourself into this present moment. So we can receive the presence of our guest today, Henry Fursco Weiss, and his gorgeous wisdom, important, so important wisdom, um, his program to help us attend to uh, meaningful approaches to death today. Just really letting yourself settle and arrive. And as you're doing that, I would also invite you for your second part of your practice, if you haven't done so already, and maybe you're ready to do it again, wherever you are in the spectrum of your gratitude, your relationship with gratitude, 
I would invite you to consider who helps make it possible for you to do what you're doing right now. All the folks who help you do anything, practically, including eating food, all the folks who helped harvest plants and get that food ready or prepared for you to nourish you, the clothes that you are wearing. Um, you know, you can pretty much pick anything, and, and literally anything or activity that you engage in, and just notice if you can find your way into that conversation of gratitude. And that can include other creatures that are furry as well, you know, little puppies and cats and dogs and all the other animals that we love who help us be more connected to ourselves as we go out and live the lives that we are here to live on the planet. So, yeah, finding your list of gratitude, making your way down it. So I'm going to share with you some folks who make this program possible, starting with our honorary sponsor, the One World Children's Fund, uh, .org, if you're online, Uniting People to Improve the Lives of Children Affected by Poverty. At the national level, we have the National Action Organization. They are committed to changing the way our culture values each other. No small effort there. Well, they help this program do what it does and have done for the last 11 years. 100% of the proceeds goes to programming just like this. And at the local level, the Open Secret Bookstore in San Rafael, California, they've got the latest in meditation and revelation. If you like books, you're in the right place. Um, yeah, you're absolutely in the right place. And if you like to go into bookstores, check out Open Secret Bookstore. Dot com for more information. All righty. Let's talk a little bit about you can hear my, I've got my dog in the studio. Did you just hear her? <laughs> That's so funny. She's happy to be here. She's on my gratitude list. That's Bella. Um, so let's talk a little bit about how the, how can the dying and their families bring deep meaning and comfort to care at the end of life? Well, that's what Henry Frisco Weiss, who's joining us today, is going to help us um, understand how to do, how to uh, even enter the conversation, moving to a new paradigm, our new relationship, a new way of being in conversation, um, and a new approach to dying, actually quite literally in many ways. Um, our guest today is a, uh, he's a therapist in LCSW. Um, he is an executive director of the International End of Life Doula Association, and he's also created the very first end of life doula program in the United States at a hospice in New York. Um, he's built many, built many other programs based on his model, which we're going to talk about today, and his work has been featured also in the New York Times, the San Francisco Chronicle, and Elsewhere, he's also on the faculty of the Open Center's Art of Dying Institute. He's joining us today. We're so glad to have you here, Henry. Thanks for joining us. Oh, thank you. It's my pleasure to be here. Yes, this is a very difficult conversation. And in the introduction of your book, by the way, which is exquisite and so well written, you really do usher us into the conversation with a whole new meaning and I'd love to start there. How do we even begin to speak of an issue that most of us spend all of our time trying to avoid, dying in just period, never mind having to talk with someone who is faced with um, the end of their life? 
So, I, I, you know, I think uh, this is something that we have um, pushed out of our consciousness as much as possible in our society. We've, we've tried to escape from the, the knowledge that, in fact, we are all going to die. And as a result, it becomes incredibly hard to open that conversation. I think if you're, if you're going to be talking to a loved one um, who is facing a terminal illness, it's always important to be as gentle but direct as you can be, you know, to, to indicate that there are always things that people need to look at and that normally come up for them as they're thinking about their life. When they're facing a limited time for their life, uh, there is very naturally things that start to play in their minds, things that they... Um, loved about their life, questions that they have, what was the purpose, what's the meaning of this? And those questions, I think, are very natural. They come up automatically, but often people just push them aside or they get replaced by other things that grab a person's attention. And so for loved ones, I think it's important to, to just say, you know, I want to be here to allow you to speak and talk about the things that are important to you. And at this point in your life, knowing that you're facing the end of your life, it's incredibly important to have those conversations. And I want, to, I want you to know that I will be here whenever you need to have that kind of conversation, whenever you want to talk about it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, it's interesting, Henry, because I, mean, I'm, I think a lot of us who are probably listening to you speak are either dealing with someone right now who is facing uh, and their, the end of their life or, or uh, some other part of the spectrum, um, uh, maybe dealing with somebody who's ill. And I think what comes up for me when I look back on my experiences, past and present, I feel like that you're not, you know, that there's always, um, you always want to have room for hope. And somehow when you say the D word, it sort of like obliterates that. Like we've entered into a whole new terrain and you just feel uh, it's not appropriate somehow. Like you can't hold the paradox, right, that, you know, uh, the person's going to leave and if I speak it, somehow it makes it so. Can you speak to that? Do you know what I'm saying? Yes, I do. Um, uh, and I think, I think that's, that's the fear that holds everybody back from that conversation is that, if I accept it, if I admit it, if I open that dialogue, yeah. if I say the word death, then it becomes real. But of course it is real. Yeah. And that's the piece that people, you know, they pretend or try to turn away from it. Yeah. So they don't have to accept that reality. Right. But when you talk about hope, you bring up something that I think is very important for, for people. and. When I, when I talk to doctors about end-of-life doula work, one of the things I commonly hear from people is, I, I don't want to take hope away from my patients. So this, this concept of hope is quite important, and we know that it, it has incredible um, impact on a person's life, not only psychically, but even physically, you know, that, that holding on to hope helps people even with the physical symptoms that they have to struggle through. Mm-hmm. So hope is incredibly important, but there comes a time when it's clear that hope is no longer for 
cure mm-hmm. or for extending life. Mm-hmm. That that those uh, those kinds of hopes are no longer useful for the place where the person is in their in their journey towards death. Mm-hmm. So we have to shift from that focus on hope for extending life or curing the illness mm-hmm. into a different kind of hope. In hospice, and I've worked in many hospices, uh, one of the things that we talk about is shifting into a, a hope for comfort, mm-hmm. that the last part of a person's life can be as comfortable as possible. And, and that's the shift that occurs when you accept a hospice or accept that the end of your life is coming. But I think there's another shift that's perhaps even more important, and that's a shift into purpose, a hope for purpose, that even in these last months, weeks, days of my life, I still can have purpose. And that can give my life, as I'm living it, even in the face of the decline and the symptoms that I have to deal with, it gives it a sense of meaning. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the shift that is so critical when people are facing end of life. Right. Um, thank you for that. And I think that uh, slowing down here feels so appropriate because so often when we get frightened, we speed up and climb over things, right? We go into denial. We go into our defense mechanisms and so forth. And I really appreciate you taking care to really just slow down, let's look at what's actually going on here, which is, I I imagine, what you did and why you created this program. You must have seen some patterns um, of the the cultural normative, right, what people were doing, and then your experience, you were sort of shedding light in your own experience on, oh, my gosh, that this is something, something else is going on here. Let me show you how to move from where you're at over here, and you're calling this, uh, you know, the, the death doula position, or the, the, it's sort of a new, a new approach to dying by embodying this, this uh, death doula, um, uh, which is just part of the program. It's one way to be in relationship with this material uh, and the actual experience. Can you tell us a little bit about what led you, led you to create um, this program, this end-of-life doula program? and what you were saying that prompted you to create it. Yes. uh, I was um, doing work as a social worker at a hospice, a large hospice in New York City. And as I was working with my patients, um, I I found that uh, quite regularly, unfortunately, people ended up having the last days of their life not the way they might have thought it would be or envisioned it. People who had really wanted to die at home and wound up in the hospital because somebody panicked, a health aide or a family member said, oh my gosh, there's something happening here, we have to get this person into the hospital. Mm -hmm. Or a family member missing the last breaths of their loved one's life even though that was important to them, whether it had been stated openly between them and the person who was dying or just it was an internal commitment, they missed that opportunity because they perhaps didn't understand the signs and symptoms of active dying or imminent death or because they were exhausted and often caregivers are exhausted at the end and they 
fell asleep or took uh, a time for rest and missed their loved one's dying process. Mm -hmm. So seeing that, I kept thinking, as wonderful as hospice is, as, as helpful as they are, at the very end there seems to be this gap or this void in the ability to really serve people, support them, and guide them through the last part, the last days of life. And as I was trying to think how to make this different, a friend of mine was becoming a birth doula. And she started t talking to me about what she was learning as she went through her training and then how she was helping women in labor. And as I listened to her, I thought, oh my God, this is exactly what we need to do at the end of life that makes such perfect sense. There are so many parallels and between birth and death and the spirit, the techniques, even the tools that birth doulas use would make perfect sense at the end of life. So I started doing some research, trying to find other people who were doing that at end of life because it seemed so obvious to me and yet I couldn't find anybody doing that. Mm -hmm. it, um, somehow it had fallen to me and mm -hmm. I was going to um, see if I could make that happen at end mm -hmm. of life. Yes, and you bring, thank you for that. You bring up a, another really important point is the stress of not knowing because we don't have role models. Uh, you're sort of figuring it out on the fly or doing the best you can, and then you add stress and, and all of that. And, you know, quite frankly, mo most of us feel like, you know, you're sort of, you know, in the dark. That said, your program really does invite us into um, a different opportunity where we can educate ourselves about what our choices are, how we can interact with our, uh, the other caretakers um, that may be involved, the family members, how to deal directly with the person who's transitioning from life to death. And, and you really, your book is just gorgeous in the way that it does escort us through this process. By the way, if you're just joining us, Henry Frisco Weiss has written a book called Caring for the Dying, The Doula Approach to a Meaningful Death. So let's go from where you have created this program um, to talk a little bit about what exactly a death doula is and does, and then we'll invite um, folks deeper into how that looks and what are some of the things that you're seeing that we can offer folks right away is sort of um, some support um, as they are moving deeper into this relationship with a loved one or, or, or just as a caregiver in their lives. So the, the doula model, uh, the end-of-life doula model that um, I work with and have since I first created this program back in 2003 has three phases to it. Um, and the, the first phase is doing work around meaning and legacy and planning. It's what I call summing up and planning work. And the, the summing up part, I think, is a very natural thing for people who know that they're facing a life-limiting illness. Start to do internally. It it's, uh, relates in a way to what Eric Erickson, the developmental psychologist, mm -hmm. Um, spoke about in terms of looking across the human lifespan, he identified the last um, phase of a person's life when they're 
in old age as being a time when people look back over their life, they review what they've done and what they've learned, and come to a sense of completion about their life and a positive sense of who they are and what they are leaving behind. Or they wind up feeling a sense of despair, that their life did not turn out the way they had hoped it would. So this challenge, this developmental challenge, I think, is one that we all face when we're dying, no matter what our age is, whether we're 30, 50, 90. So the first part of what the doula does is really engage the person who's dying in this process of looking back and reviewing their life in a really structured and intense way to really focus on what the meaning of this life has been. And that, I think, dovetails very well into then looking at legacy. What, what is it that I, what's my impact? What do I leave behind? What will people hold in their hearts and minds after I'm gone? And how do I want to perhaps preserve some of that meaning that I've now uncovered in a way that I can leave behind in some kind of physical, concrete way? It would be a book or a box or a video. And so the first part of the doula work is doing this work around meaning, legacy, and then planning for what the last days will look like. All right. We're going to go to the break right now, um, Henry. So hold that thought, everybody, very gently, and uh, we're going to take a break. We're going to come back. We're going to talk more with Henry Frisco Weiss about his book, Caring for the Dying, when we return. Don't touch that dial. We'll be right back. I don't want to date anymore. What? Did you break up again? You said he's perfect. Well, I don't blame you. My last date lasted two minutes at a speed dating event. Are you still looking for the one? There are millions of singles looking for soulmates. Actually, drama-free love. Worry no more. Nine international relationship experts collaborated to bring you secrets to drama-free love. Proven solutions that singles use to help them find, catch, and keep the right relationship. Get your copy of Secrets to Drama-Free Love at Amazon.com now. We've We've ordered ordered No No More More Love Life Life Drama Drama for us. Hi, everybody. I'm relationship expert and radio talk show host Marianne Camarado. And I'm David Raynaud. We want to talk to you for a minute about the changing world of dating and relationships and how self-inquiry can help. I mean, did you know that 44% of the U.S. population is single and over 50% end in divorce? Yet, we spend an average of one-third of our lives trying to find a great relationship or get help with the ones we already have. Yep, that's exactly why we created the first ever of its kind, the Great Relationships Begin Within Self-Inquiry Divination Deck, because we know what it takes to attract and create a healthy, fulfilling, sustainable relationship. And it's really simple. Sit quietly, close your eyes, turn your attention inward, and draw a card. You can go online right now and get a free reading on Marianne Lide and try out the cards. And for under $20, what better way to give yourself a gift of your own attention? We wish you every blessing. We'll see you next time. Check out MarianneLive.com.
Okay, so you have a couple of days off and you're planning to get away from stress. You may be planning to go across the world or even taking a staycation around town. Well, Hotels.com can get you a room in over 158,000 hotels, 60 countries for 50% off. That's reducing stress already. Plus, collect 10 nights and you'll get one night free. And there's no cancellation charges, no change fees. For the best deals, even last-minute deals, visit HealthyLife.net's advertiser page and click on Hotels.com. Music, information, and friends. HealthyLife.net. I'm so glad you're here, everybody. Talking about death is very difficult Awkward, uncomfortable, painful, terrifying. I mean, you fill in the blank. And um, even if it's, uh, you know, with a loved, beloved pet or someone uh, that you don't know on the news. I mean, it's, it's all around us, yet we, we still are not prepared when it comes down to it so often to deal um, in a uh, present and, um, I don't know, uh, maybe useful manner in many, many instances. <clears throat> how, do I, how do I do this, basically, is what most of us want to know. Well, that's why Henry Frisco Weiss has written a book for us, <clears throat> excuse me, called Caring for the Dying, The Doula Approach to a Meaningful Death. He's helping usher us into not only the conversation, but the phases um, that we can uh, move through uh, as a death doula. Um, so in your program, we, we discussed phase one before we came to the break. Um, Henry, so where do we go from there? So uh, I'll just finish off with that uh, last piece of what happens in that first part of the work is to help somebody look at what the last days will look like and feel how they will unfold in their sort of their ideal vision of what that might be like. What kind of music do they want or sound in the space? What kind of scent? Um, what, what place in the home or where they are are they going to spend their last days? How is that space put together in a way that embodies who they are and also helps to focus everybody on this really momentous thing that's happening as this person is facing the end of their life? So that's, that's another part of that first work. And then the, the middle work is around uh, what we call a vigil, which is when the person is actively dying. And that happens uh, when their body is finally in the last stage of breaking down. It's typically a number of days. It can be hours. It can be up to, you know, 10 days, but, but it's typically days. And then the doulas try to come as much as possible, even around the clock if that's possible, to support and guide people through the signs and symptoms that are happening for the dying person to support and um, provide spiritual support, emotional support, physical support for the dying person as well as family. And then the last part of the work is to come back after the person has died and reprocess all of the emotions and experiences that the family and friends have gone through as they were there to care give or to visit the person who was who was dying and to explore with them what the terrain of grief looks like what things they will experience and, and what they need to do in order to really heal and recover from the loss so that, that's kind of a broad overview of what the 
what the doula work is all about. Hmm. All right. So uh, just to revisit, being a doula is a person who helps usher you from start to finish through something that is very uncomfortable yet completely natural on the one end of the spectrum as a birth doula and on this end of the spectrum to a death doula. And so this is a role that you've created for us now, which is so wonderful, um, as a model for how we can be of assistance um, and help uh, the folks around us and the person making the transition from life to passing. Um, so uh, pretty much anyone um, can find their way through your book, I think, in terms of taking on the tasks and the responsibilities. Um, I don't think that anyone would be excluded from this role. Can you speak to that? Do you feel like that this speaks to just about any adult? Yeah, uh, definitely I do. I, I think that this, this work, this approach is very accessible. It's a matter of just opening to a different perspective and a different sense of process around dying from the one we normally know because we live in such a medicalized society that we, we think about death as a medical event, and yet uh, clearly it isn't. Um, it is a human event, and so opening to the human dimension and expanding our understanding of how to approach it through this doula approach, I think, um, makes a huge difference for people. And anybody can do this. Yeah. It's a matter of just starting to see what's possible, right. which is what I hope the book helps people to do. Yes, and it, it did for me. I, I was surprised at every step of the way. Certainly, I hadn't considered many of the things that you brought up, um, particularly reframing the whole the paradigm, <laughs> quite frankly. You pointing out, um, in, in your words, moving from hope to a different kind of uh, hope uh, in a different context. Yeah. You know, there is still hope and purpose. Never, ever occurred to me, you know, uh, that this is really, really powerful. Let's talk a little bit about the cultural differences that we might experience. Um, I, I can say that our mom, my husband's mother, passed, and she had a caretaker who was from the Philippines who was really quite comfortable in the conversation around death and passing, uh, the way that she grew up and, and her uh, religious beliefs and so forth, which actually put almost everybody else at ease. So, so cultural differences can, be, can play a variety of roles. Let's talk about that. Sure. So uh, culture certainly can impact a lot of different aspects of approaching death, from um, who do we talk to about the plan of care and, and death and dying. You know, it would seem obvious to us in our, our Western orientation that that's the person who has the terminal illness, is the person who you want to speak to, and, and they're the ones to make decisions. But in some cultures, that's not the way it works. Mm -hmm. um, in some cultures, it's family that makes decisions. Uh, I've worked with Chinese families and uh, where the person who was dying, who was quite capable of speaking for himself, nonetheless did not make major decisions. Um, it was made by the whole entire family who would come together and they would have this giant meeting uh, with cousins and 
uh, siblings and children and nieces and nephews and everybody would contribute to the conversation and the decision would come out of that conversation, not from the person themselves. It can impact where we want to die. Um, for, For some people, dying at home is clearly the thing that they most want, but for some cultures, um, it's important for them not to die at home, but rather in an institution, a facility, a hospital, or a, an inpatient facility, or a nursing home. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of impact from um, culture, even in some of the, you know, the concrete pieces of facing end of life. And then certainly it impacts our overall orientation to, you know, what happens? What happens after we die? Mm -hmm. Thank you for that. All right, we're going to go to break, everybody. Henry Frisco Weiss, the author of Caring for the Dying, is with us. When we return, we're going to talk about some of those more specific decisions that need to be made. And... Even more importantly, how do we begin the conversation? At what point do we say something? Uh, yeah, sit, sitting with that when we return, find your breath. We'll be back right after these messages. I don't want to date anymore. What? Did you break up again? You said he's perfect. Well, I don't blame you. My last date lasted two minutes at a speed dating event. Are you still looking for the one? There are millions of singles looking for soulmates. Actually, drama-free love. Worry no more. Nine international relationship experts collaborated to bring you secrets to drama-free love. Proven solutions that singles use to help them find, catch, and keep the right relationship. Get your copy of Secrets to Drama-Free Love at Amazon.com now. We've We've ordered ordered No More More Love Love Life Life Drama Drama for us. us. Shh, over here. Here's a secret for a virus-free computer. ESET. They've been a pioneer in the antivirus industry for over 25 years. 25 years of innovative, top-rated antivirus protection. ESET's award-winning security solutions provide a safe online experience for over 100 million home and business computer owners. They are so affordable, fast, and simple to use. So be gone, you blue screen of death. ESET's on my computer. If it's not on yours, visit HealthyLife.net's advertiser page and click on ESET now. Did you know that in seven minutes you might save $522 on car insurance? Well, this makes sense. Since 21st Century Insurance's company's website has been rated number one in responsiveness by Keynote. Serving customers since 1958, 21st Century Insurance has a 24-7 online policy and claim service. You can get a quote fast and easy, so get your quote by visiting HealthyLife.net's advertiser page and click right on the 21st Century Insurance banner. More exhilarating talk. HealthyLife.net Hey everybody, welcome back. We are talking about the passing of life, death, uh, how do we be in relationship to friends, loved ones, uh, spouses, children. Every scenario is intensely unique. Uh, never going to be the same for anybody. They have elements that are the same um, uh, and ways that we can uh, find
find comfort and education in how we approach the situation, but we certainly don't want to minimize or uh, make it seem like there's a one-size-fit-all way of being in relationship with somebody passing to the other side. You know, I, I think that there's more uniformity in birth than there is in passing. What do you think about that, Henry? Um, well, I think even in even in birth, there's, there's great variance. I mean, some of the the, the process of labor um, itself is very consistent from one person to another, although right. there's still variation. Right. And the same is actually true in dying. Um, there's a lot of consistency. There's some of the same signs and symptoms. Not everybody has the same ones, but there's a general way that that people do face end of life, but it's the dynamics, it's the relationships that yeah. are so different and variable right. from one to another. That's right. So that said, here we are, uh, whoever we are, and we are in a situation where it is clear the end is near or imminent. Um, how do we get into the conversation that we need to get into? where we are moving towards creating um, a relationship as a doula with uh, our the person of interest here um, who is going to be passing, A. And then, B, let's talk about some of the very specifics around uh, the decisions that need to be made. So I think in terms of the conversation and how you open that conversation, um, really will come out of your understanding who this person is and the nature of your relationship with them. But what, what I find helpful is to very directly say, you know, I know there's a lot of things going on inside. They have to be. And I know it's hard to talk about those things, but I want you to know that I'm here for you. I want to give you that opportunity to speak about those things that are inside that are just sort of floating around in your mind or in your heart that you feel would be helpful to talk out loud about. And I will listen. I will, I will be here. I'm not going to judge anything you have to say. I won't push you in any direction, but I'll let you speak and say the things that you really need to say. So I, I think that is a, a good way of approaching it. And another way I like, you know, to, to ask people is, um, you know, what is it that you worry about? Mm. I know we all worry when we, you know, often patients I know that I've talked to will, will wake up in the middle of the night and they don't want to disturb their loved ones and they're lying in bed and they're just thinking about, their life or about what's happening and what's going to happen, and they worry about themselves, about how the process is going to go, about their family and how they're going to make it. And so I think sometimes if we just let people know that we understand this is happening for them, and if we ask them, you know, what, what's on your mind? What are you worried about when you're sitting alone or in the middle of the night or you're drifting away from what's happening around you? And that's often a good entry point into the conversation. Mm -hmm. Thank you for that. And I'd like to back up from there. If anybody is wondering how to start the conversation before someone's ill, um, 
I think that I'd, I'd like to invite you to speak into that as well. For example, I was walking with my mom, who's not ill. She's getting on in her years, and I wanted to start the conversation now. I wanted to start getting comfortable with talking about what is going to come at some point, uh, inevitably, if I'm fortunate enough to be here while she goes. Um, and I actually started the conversation by saying, you know, I've never really thought about this or talked about it with you, Mom. I said, but I'm not sure if I want to be cremated or buried. I don't Where do you stand on that? Uh-huh. And it was interesting because she paused, and then we just had this really interesting conversation. So I started about, you know, looking at myself. So that's also something I think might be uh, valuable. What do you think about that? Yeah, no, I think that's a great way of, of leading into a conversation about this. Or, you know, to say to somebody, you know, I've been thinking about my life lately and thinking about, you know, the, the impact uh, my life has had. And I, I wonder if that's something you think about, about right. your life. And, right. And, and how do you see that? You know, what kind of... What kind of impact do you think you've had? Right. And that's a great way of moving into the questions around meaning and, and legacy. And, right. And I can tell you that um, I teach this all over the country. And in the classes that I teach, one of the things that all the students do is they write or they interact with each other in a way that brings out what is their legacy, what's the meaning in their life. What's their vigil plan going to look like? Mm-hmm. And it's exciting to people when they when they venture into these areas. They find it is uplifting. It's not it's not sad and frightening. It's really uplifting, and it gives people a chance to you know dig deeper into who they are and what their life is mm. about. And they love it. And they go home and they do it with their spouses and friends and it's something that I think once we move into that conversation, people just really feel engaged with it mm-hmm. and uplifted by it. Mm-hmm. That's beautiful. So these are opportunities for us to move into conversation that is, generally speaking, not modeled. Uh, we don't know how to do it. We don't know what language to use. Uh, we could recommend that you could practice with a a close friend or your therapist or somebody uh, before you enter into the conversation. There's no harm in that. I don't think that could ever be a wrong move. Um, you talk about it throughout your book, Caring for the Dying, the dual approach to a meaningful death, waves into the conversation at various stages and so forth. So um, you will have the support you need when you pick up a copy of this book as well as attending uh, one of Henry's classes offered throughout the country. If you're listening uh, abroad, uh, as many of you are, um, you can get a copy, um, I believe, where fine books are sold, and they do ship to the U.K. and all around the world. Um, Let's talk now, Henry, about moving into the uh, specific decisions that need to be made and and the categories of this unfolding for folks. So uh, naturally, it's important to make decisions about um, what's going to happen to your body after you die, and and that's one of the first things that a lot of people tend to think about. Uh, You know, am I going to be buried? Am I going to be cremated? Um, Do I want to have a a home viewing and a home funeral as opposed to a funeral in a you know in a funeral home? Mm -hmm. Do you want to be a donor? Yeah. Right. All that. Do you want your 
your body to go to a medical school or to, uh, you know, donate organs. So there's a lot of those kinds of decisions that I think everybody should certainly make. And then there are the decisions about how I want to be treated medically at the end of my life, the advanced directives that everybody should have and very few people do, even today with all the discussion about that. So it's very important to make sure you have an advanced directive, you've thought about what kinds of treatments you're willing to accept or not accept, under what conditions, and about assigning somebody the role of a proxy, which will be the person who makes decisions for you only when you can no longer make them for yourself. Mm-hmm. And it's really important to pick the right person for that role. Yeah. It has to be somebody who you know will follow your wishes and not make changes according to their own needs. Yeah. Yeah, I'll tell you, when I first started my health care, advanced health care directive, I had a friend actually uh, suggested to me, and I thought, oh, I'm too young to do this, and she just gave me a a quizzical look. She said, not really. (laughs) I'm not sure you're ever too young for that in in some way. So I think the sooner we can get into that conversation ourselves, it makes it easier to deal with someone who's actually passing. What do you think? Oh, absolutely. I I think everybody should have advanced directives. We're going to go to break, Henry. When we come back, everybody, don't worry. We are going to talk more with Henry Frisco Weiss. In the meantime, go online, get a copy of Caring for the Dying, the doula approach to a meaningful death. And when we return, uh, there will be more conversation that will be useful for you, we hope. Back in just a minute. I don't want to date anymore. What? Did you break up again? You said he's perfect. Well, I don't blame you. My last date lasted two minutes at a speed dating event. Are you still looking for the one? There are millions of singles looking for soulmates. Actually, drama-free love. Worry no more. Nine international relationship experts collaborated to bring you secrets to drama-free love. Proven solutions that singles use to help them find, catch, and keep the right relationship. Get your copy of Secrets to Drama-Free Love at Amazon.com now. We've ordered No More Love Life Drama for Us. MarianneLive.com is where you can go to keep up to date with what and where relationship expert, author, and radio host Marianne Camarado is appearing next. Besides Marianne's three radio shows weekdays on HealthyLife.net, you can find out details about upcoming or ongoing seminars and workshops. How about information for ordering copies of books or DVDs? That's also available at MarianneLive.com. Find out about core certification, certificate of responsible relationships, www.marianlive.com core certification learning tools to attract build and sustain great relationships also sign up for marianne's newsletter to be informed about upcoming events and possible workshops or speaking engagements in the northern california area www.marianlive.com what does HealthyLife.net and Amazon.com have in common? Well, they're both available on the Internet. They both give great value. But most important, most of our positive program hosts and guests are accomplished authors. And their books are available from, you got it, Amazon.com. Now it even gets better than that. Because when you're listening on air to a HealthyLife.net host or guest, you can go directly to Amazon.com and you can order your book while you're still listening to your favorite HealthyLife.net program. So when you hear an author you like, go to the homepage of HealthyLife.net and click on Amazon.com. Healthy life.net the positive radio network 
back, everybody. Okay, we're here at the top of the hour with Henry Frisco Weiss approaching the top of the hour. Henry, some of the areas that we don't want to miss uh, sharing with folks um, as we transition from the last portion of the conversation, which are what are the specifics that we need to address. You, you've touched on quite a few of those. We don't want to leave out a, a couple of areas that you're going to address now. And What are those? Yes. So one of the things that I think is so important and sometimes is, <clears throat> I'm sorry, overlooked or avoided um, because there's so much focus on physical care is the need to really touch and hold a person who is dying. Uh, many times I've seen people afraid or uh, nervous about touching a loved one who's very ill. And touch is so important to us as human beings. We, we need it, and particularly at the end, I think, it's, it's reassuring, it's comforting, it's, um, it's a way of connecting and expressing how much we love someone. So I think touch and holding is quite important. And then really speaking from our hearts, really sharing the things that we need to say. Too many times when I've run bereavement groups, I find that people say, you know, I wish I had said this. I've been thinking about it, but I was afraid, or um, I, I didn't know quite how to do it. So don't hold back. Really speak from your heart. Open yourself up. Deal with anything that you need to. If there's unfinished business, don't let it sit there. Um, get it out, talk about it. And another piece of that is dealing with forgiveness. It's so important for us to, to uh, offer forgiveness, to ask for forgiveness from somebody who's dying um, for the things that we've done intentionally or not intentionally that we know may have caused hurt. And that happens in every relationship. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think just appreciating thanking the person for what has been in your life because of their being in your life. And one of the other pieces that I think is so helpful is really becoming a deep, active listener. Mm-hmm. We, we, need to, we need to give the person who is dying an opportunity to give voice to what's happening for them and what they need to speak about without us turning away or trying to change what they're feeling or thinking not judging it, but allowing them to speak as they may need to speak about so many different parts of their life or their relationships or their their um, longings, the things they're afraid of, the things that they need to um, face, you know, all of that. If we are a deep, active listener, we give people a chance to say things that are so important at the end of life. Mm-hmm. Beautiful and well said. Um, a couple questions as we come up to the actual top of the hour here. Um, what's the difference between a doula and an advocate in terms of the person feeling it's my sole responsibility, um, you know, sort of all the pressures on me? Because I, I find in, in family dynamics and otherwise, there's usually one point person. Is the doula the point person or is it a role that's shared by the group. How, how does that work? So it can be a role that is that one person takes on and uh, other people acknowledge that role, at least informally, or it can be shared and a whole group of people can act as the doulas. I've had situations where a family 
decides that they want to be present around the clock mm-hmm. so that somebody is always awake with the person mm-hmm. who's dying. I've, I had a, uh, worked with somebody, a friend, um, who was dying, and it was a group of friends who came together and decided that they were going to be there as a support and a guide to him, and they did that throughout his dying process, mm-hmm. day and night. There was always somebody there, and all the people gathered supported each other, which is also important. Just gorgeous. Beautiful. So there's no one-size-fits-all. We just have to find our way in and keep uh, expanding our awareness, educating ourselves. Thank you so much, Henry. Uh, We are coming to the top of the hour right now. What do you want to leave us with today? Let's all of us not turn away from the you know the fact that we are going to die let's open this conversation with those in our lives who may not be at all in our mind close we need to be talking about this so that when the time comes it isn't filled with such fear and dread that we we can't talk about it or do the things that we should be doing at that point beautiful yes we don't want to become paralyzed wow Henry Frisco Wright Weiss, thank you so much for joining us today. We're grateful to have you help us speak openly about this critical uh, conversation. Thank you so much for having me. I, I really appreciated the opportunity and I enjoyed talking with you, Mary. Thank you so much, Henry. You're welcome back anytime. Let's send folks to your website, inelda.org, for more information or check us out at MarianLive.com. We're going to be back in just a minute for a wrap. Don't touch that dial, folks. We'll be right back. Hi, everybody. I'm relationship expert and radio talk show host, Marianne Camarado. And I'm David Raynaud. We want to talk to you for a minute about the changing world of dating and relationships and how self-inquiry can help. Honey, did you know that 44% of the U.S. population is single and over 50% end in divorce yet? We spend an average of one-third of our lives trying to find a great relationship or get help with the ones we already have. Yep, that's exactly why we created the first ever of its kind, the Great Relationships Begin Within Self-Inquiry Divination Deck, because we know what it takes to attract and create a healthy, fulfilling, sustainable relationship. And it's really simple. Sit quietly, close your eyes, turn your attention inward, and draw a card. You can go online right now and get a free reading on Marianne Live and try out the cards. And for under $20, what better way to give yourself a gift of your own attention? We wish you every blessing. We'll see you next time. Check out MarianneLive.com. To be a good father is the most important job in a man's life. But it doesn't have to be hard. Play catch. Go to a park or visit a zoo. Help your child with their homework. Sit down together for dinner. Ask them how their day was. Things get busy, and sometimes we all fall short. But the smallest moments can have the biggest impact on a child's life. Take time to be a dad today. Learn more at one 877 dad or visit fatherhood.gov. Brought to you by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services and the Ad Council. Stuff, stuff, stuff. Where can I contain all of my stuff? Hmm, how about this? The Container Store, the original storage and organization store. And I found their link on the HealthyLife.net advertiser page. They have containers for everything, including the kitchen, the bathroom, trash and recycling, traveling, spring cleaning, and dorm rooms. Just about everything you can think of to contain your stuff. The Container Store, right on the HealthyLife.net advertiser page. 
HealthyLife.net, where positive overcomes negative. I'm seriously signing my durable power of attorney for health care during the break. Uh, I have been, been sitting at the right of my desk, my advanced health care directive. And, boy, you just have to chunk through it. It is not easy. This conversation is challenging. It pushes up against material and reality that most of us really just spend most of our lives trying to avoid, okay? This is, there's just no way to, no two ways about it. Some people are skilled and comfortable, and I have several friends who work um, in hospice. God bless them. They help me understand more and more. Get near people who know how to move you through this, just like Henry Fursco White's Caring for the Dying. Get a copy for yourself. Uh, it is absolutely worth it um, because so many things can go wrong and under an already stressful situation. Meantime, everybody, join us next week. Uh, Deb Angle is going to be here. Let your spirit guides speak. Uh, that's what we're going to be talking about, moving from the death spectrum to the spectrum of the other side, uh, having our spirit guide speak to us. In the meantime, go do something good for somebody and don't let them know you did it. And check us out at MarianLive.com for more information. Sign up for our newsletter. See you next time, everybody. I wish every blessing until then. Bye.